pray since this is a serious matter that we just watched, and I just want to pray into this and, and then we'll start. Father, I thank you that you are a God of justice and righteousness and that you are the giver and the sustainer of life and that you count life a sacred thing because you have created every human being in your image to reflect the glory of who you are, the beauty of who you are on this earth. And God, we pray that there would be an end to this atrocity, to the killing of children within the womb, that there would be an end to the injustice that we see throughout this land, and that we would find our place and our part in being a voice to the voiceless, to the defenseless, to the helpless, to the poor, to the needy, to the fatherless, that we would that our hearts would break for the things that break your heart, God. So open our eyes to see the glory and the beauty of who you are. And may we take on your characteristics, God, your attributes, God. May we be changed to become more like you. I ask that you would speak to us here today, God. Be with me as I seek to handle your word well to encourage and move and exhort your people into your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today, um, I'm excited about this message and excited about being able to focus on an aspect of who God is today. And I'm kind of torn because I I feel like I have a, a few different sermons here that I'm trying to weave together in one. And usually when a preacher does that, he gets in trouble and just kind of starts shooting everywhere and just, <laughs> and, and it's not, it can become unclear what the main point is, what the big message is. <clears throat> and so I want to avoid doing that today. I want to speak on the weighty issue of the value of life. Uh, but in the context of um, uh, the journey that we're going through in the Bible. So right now in our Bible reading plan, we are in the book of Exodus. And if you were here Wednesday night, you would have heard me say, welcome. You, you would have heard me say that I just want to camp out in Exodus chapter 1. Because Exodus chapter 1, it seems so fitting for what we're celebrating today, what we're remembering today, the sanctity of life. And so we're going to go there. But first, I'm going to start from Psalm 103. And so we just, last week, we finished up the book of Genesis looked at how God is the creator of all human life, that God counts all human life as a sacred thing. He made us in his image to reflect the beauty and the glory of who he is. And then we looked at the life of Abraham, how God was, is a faithful God and was working through the life of Abraham to bring redemption and and reverse the curse and the brokenness of sin that humanity brought upon ourselves and brought upon this world. And then last week, we looked at the providence of God in the life of Joseph. And we talked about how God cares for and intervenes in his creation. He doesn't just wind up creation like a clock and just let it go. 
See, God is a good and awesome creator, and he created everything good with, in, with design, with purpose, with meaning, with beauty. He created human beings with value, okay? But he didn't just leave us alone and let us go to do our own thing. God is intimately involved. He's personally involved in the lives of his creation, especially his chosen people. As we see uh, in Exodus, um, God takes notice of the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who would become slaves in Egypt. And God sees, he knows, and he cares, and he acts. And so today we're going to look at God, uh, an aspect of who God is. And my big idea today is simply this. I'm, I'm just going to take Psalm 103, 6 through 8. That's my big idea, okay? And that is a big idea because that's straight from Scripture and that hones in on the glory of who God is. How many of y'all know and love Psalm 103? That's a great, that's a, you know, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is with his holy name and forget not all his benefits who redeemed your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases and so on he crowns you with loving kindness and david goes a little bit further down in the verse six through eight and he says the lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed let that sink in because i want to camp out on this today i want to magnify this through the story of Exodus, I want us to, like a telescope, kind of hone in and look at this great beauty and glory that God has in his person and in in, in how he works and what he does flowing from his person. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses in his acts to the people of Israel, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And all God's people said, amen, amen to that. Aren't you glad this is who God is? When Moses in, in, in Exodus, I believe, 34 says, God, you know, show me your glory. I want to know you. I want to see who you are. God reveals himself and declares his name to Moses and he shows him his glory and he declares, I'm the Lord who's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Almost word for word here. Okay, and this isn't the only place this shows up. This shows up in Psalm 145. This shows up in the book of Jonah. This shows up in Joel. This concept of God being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love is throughout the whole Bible. This is who God is, and the Bible is about God and his working to bring about his plans in this world. Amen? So God works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. There's a, there's a preacher, old preacher that I love named Charles Spurgeon, and he has some great insight on the book of Psalms. And in his Treasury of David, he comments on this verse Uh, Verse 6, that the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And this is what he says. Man's injustice shall receive retribution at the hand of God. Mercy to his saints demands vengeance on their persecutors, and he will repay it. No blood of martyrs shall be shed in vain. No groans of confessors in prison 
shall be left without inquisition being made concerning them. All wrongs shall be righted. All the oppressed shall be avenged. Justice may at times leave the courts of man, but it abides upon the tri- tribunal of God. For this, every right, for this, every right-minded person will bless God. Were he careless of his creatures, his creatures good, did he neglect the administration of justice? Did he suffer high-handed oppressors finally to escape? We should have no greater reason for trembling than rejoicing. It is not so. However, for our God is a God of justice, and by him actions are weighed. He will mete out his portion to the proud and make the tyrant bite the dust. Sounds like a song that that we know. Another one bites the dust. Yeah. Often he visits the haughty persecutor even in this life so that the Lord is known by the judgments which he executeth. That's a mouthful. Selah. Chew on that. God is a God of justice. The scripture tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Okay. This is who God is. He loves justice and righteousness. He's very passionate about this. Actually, Jesus, when Jesus said some of the weightier matters of the the law that were neglected by the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he said justice and mercy were two of those things. They were weightier matters of the law that got put on the back burner by religious folks, and they shouldn't be put on the back burner by us. These are issues that we should major in, righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Let's look at the oppressed in Exodus chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 1. And I would like to, through the Exodus narrative, unpack these three verses, that the Lord executes righteousness and justice for those who are, all who are oppressed, that he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel, and that he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Because if you read through the whole book of Exodus, you will see those truths unraveled in the narrative. So let's look at this. Exodus chapter 1. And by the way, this, this ties us into Joseph's story. Okay? Uh, Joseph had died. All right? His people, the Israelites, were in Egypt and things were going well while Joseph was there. But then he died. And then it says, now there arose a, a, a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithon and and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. I love that. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel so that they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work that they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. If you have any sense of common sense and and understanding within you, when you hear this, there is something that rises up within you that says this is wrong. 
treating any human being as an object is wrong. Treating any human being as property is is wrong because humans are made in the image of God. There is value and dignity on every human life, regardless of what race one has, regardless of whether one has a disability or not, regardless of uh, one's um, socioeconomic status, regardless of our backgrounds. If, if, If we're human being, there is value on our life and nobody should be treated like this. Nobody should be treated as property like this. And this was an issue. God got this, this moved. God was moved by this. God saw this. God took notice of this. God cared about this. And this is, this is the, the, the setting that Moses was born into. Moses was born. He came at a time. And by the way, we could pre, I could preach another sermon on the providence of God in the life of Moses. Okay. Because Moses was born when the king of Egypt, now check this out, the king of Egypt said to the, the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shapara and the other Pua, uh, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill it. If it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. This was when Moses was born. This was happening. When Moses was born, okay, okay, it was all something similar like that. When around the time Jesus was a baby, was happening as well with with Herod. Verse twenty two, Exodus one twenty two. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born of the Hebrews, that you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall not let every daughter live. So here, here's what was going on. These midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And so they knew that what Pharaoh was demanding of them as midwives, okay, just Pharaoh was basically saying, just if you see that they're a boy as you're delivering them, just get them, snip them, cut them, kill them, okay? Abortion or uh, infanticide, okay? So if they were born and they were males, they made it out of the womb, they survived, they were alive. Then they were to be cast in to the Nile River. Okay, my my children and I watched um, the Prince of Egypt the other night, and uh, we were. <laughs> I love that movie. It's a. I love the songs in it, and I love. Um, but just kind of to to let let that sink in with my children and, and um, this story here, and in the in the movie it shows Moses in this little basket drifting down the Nile River, and there's alligators and there's boats and all this you know, stuff going on, and he's just, he's kept, he's kept perfect, uh, he's kept safe, and you see God's hand on his life from, from, as a child, by faith, his mother saw that he was a beautiful baby, the scripture says, and she hid him for about three months, she tried to keep it back, that she had a baby, but how many, you know, when you got a three-month-old baby, it's hard to, to keep that back, okay, because around now, they're crying, they're making noise, Okay, those of you parents who, uh, who've experienced that, if you live in an apartment, okay, the people who live to the left or to the right or underneath you are like, oh, I hope we don't bother them because these babies are crying. She couldn't, she couldn't hide anymore that she had a three-month-old baby. So she did, in partial obedience to the command of Pharaoh, she, she put Moses into the Nile, but she created a little ark for him, a little boat there and just kind of trusted God. I mean, what would you do if that was you, moms? 
If that was what was the law, that you had to do that, or, or you may, you, you and your whole family may be killed. I mean, this was, scary, this was a scary time to live in for the Hebrew people. This was an oppressive time. This, this is not right. It's not supposed to be like this. This is, this is wrong. And this kind of thing, there are, there are places on the earth right now that feel just like this and worse. There are places that if you're a Christian, you know, one of the, the, the worst places uh, rated to live as a Christian in the world right now is North Korea. Okay? If you're a Christian and you're living in North Korea, you've got a pretty bitter lot in life right now. Okay? Uh, so God, God will do something about this. God sees this. God hates this. Okay, because it is attack on the very design that he created humanity for. Okay, so we see God protecting Moses. And now check this out. Here's the, here is the turning point in the narrative. Okay, because we just looked at the problem. And every good story has a conflict, right? Every good story has a conflict and it has a hero who comes to the rescue and there's a resolve. Okay. Here's, here's the turning point of the book in, Je- in Exodus 2, 23 to, through 25. During those days, oh, and actually, let me just say this. I, I, I jumped ahead here. Um, this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Okay, I, I want to, first of all, uh, connect this with what's going on in our day. Because we have in our day, it's legalized to kill babies who are not yet born. It's legal to take the lives of little human beings who are made in the image of God and to take their life. And it's, it's permissible. And even by, um, by many professing Christians that this is an okay thing to do. And yet God sees it as murder. God will repay those uh, who, who kill. Uh, Genesis 9, 6, I posted it right before 12 o'clock last night for Sanctity of Life Sunday that that um, I'll just read it for you. Genesis 9. I wanted to read this the first week that I preached on Genesis 1 and forgot to. But God had destroyed the whole earth. There was violence. There was wickedness. God destroyed the whole earth. He started over with Noah and his family. And God makes this declaration. He says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image, in his own image. And so God declares there will be a punishment on those who kill other human beings made in the image of God. God will bring judgment on those who do that wickedness. So God will act. Uh, God will intervene. And so what we have also with this is we have, um, we have adoption. Adoption is a beautiful option. And if there's criticism for, for pro-life Christians, those who would, would be a voice for the unborn, that they should be just as equally passionate in advocating the option of adoption. Because that's a beautiful option. But yet, it's challenging. Because then those of us who say murder, abortion is murder, it's wrong, need to be willing to roll up our sleeves and take one of these little babies that are being killed. And, and 
do something about it. Amen. Can we, can we, if you have questions, thank you for raising your hand. If you have questions about this, I do want to open up. I know that this is a controversial issue, and I want to give room after this, this time for questions and discussions because I know there's some different views in this room, and I know this is a, is a difficult thing to wrestle with, okay? So God does something about this. So, so in the, the issue of adoption, Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. In God's providence, God protected this little baby going down the river in this little, little basket. And Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses in. And Moses gets some of the best education of his day. Moses gets treated with royalty. Moses gets a life of comfort and ease. And things are going great for him for, for most of his life growing up. God shielded him and protected him. But then there came a point where Moses realized that he cannot continue to live in his comfort zone while his people were being oppressed, while uh, this kind of injustice was being done. Just think about this. Here's a great thought, because there are some families here who have the ability to adopt, who can can participate in this. Um, What the child that you adopted became a great leader like Moses. I mean, just what if, what if the one life that you rescued and you took in and you protected from all the potential evils that could happen to a child who's vulnerable and can't defend themselves in this life because their parents have abandoned them, what if you adopted a child and, and God raised that child up to do great things, to save many lives? To, to take, to turn evil for good, to be a voice for, for those who are hurting. So I, I just want to throw that out there. So that's something to pray about. And, and you know, I've heard it said that if every church adopted a child from the from the foster care system and those who who are in the system, that that there wouldn't be a need for that system in in this country. That if every if we were active in that way, and and so when I hear that. I know, and you, many of you maybe feel like this too, like, that's just too much for me right now. That's, that's a big responsibility. I can't do that. I can't afford that. I don't know. Please stop talking about that. Let's go to something else. Okay, I know this is a big issue and this is a weighty responsibility. But I, I believe that we need not to hide our face to the brokenness and injustice of our world. Don't turn away from the cry of the affliction. Don't ignore it. Don't just sing your hymns louder. Now listen, you know, there's a, there's a story about a, a church that during Nazi Germany, while the Jews were being, being slaughtered by the, the thousands in Nazi Germany, and there was a, there's, a, there's a train that, was, that would go by this church, and as the train would go by, the church could hear the cries of the, the Jewish people. They could hear, and it disrupted their service. It made, things, it made it awkward. I mean, could you imagine if there was a train that just went by right now, and we heard cries of people that were being, going to be slaughtered? If we heard that, that, that would kind of like be a buzz killer. That would kind of, that would kind of like, kind of ruin our day in a good sense, you know, because because we would be like struck by that. That would impress us, and we should let when we see those kinds of things, we should. We should be affected. We shouldn't be callous and hardened when there's murder in our land. 
when we're seeing these terrible things that are going on in our land, we should be moved by moved to action. And so, so what would happen was when, when, the, when the train would go by, the, the, they would sing their hymns louder so that they wouldn't have to hear the cries of the Jewish people in the train on their way to the slaughter. God forbid that, that we should have callous hearts and that, that we should take that approach when we see the injustice of our day. So here's the turning point. Turning point is Exodus 2, verse 23 through 25. It says, During those days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help, and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew god knew god heard he saw he remembered he knew here's the turning point god shows up god intervenes god acts god god sees this there is nothing that gets by god there is nothing at all we can't play hide and seek with god and win he sees everything and those who think that god doesn't see he does he does and he and and those who are in oppressed state, those who are being persecuted, those who are being afflicted, God sees and he cares. God cares about them. He, he heard, he saw, he remembered, and he knew. God knows everything, not just in a, um, not just in a, uh, well, well, he knows the future. So in Genesis 15, he predicted that the Israelites would be in slavery for 400 years abraham fell into a deep sleep and god revealed to abraham that this would happen okay so god wasn't surprised by the slavery of the the israelites for 400 years god predicted this is going to happen but you know what god sees and he knows and he intervenes and this is where god does something about it this is where god acts this is where god does something about it chuck swindoll commenting on this this section of scripture says this, that hard times do not erase God's promises. Harsh treatment doesn't escape God's notice. And heavy tests don't eclipse God's concern. He sees, he knows, he heard. He, God made a promise to Abraham. And the promise was this, that Abraham's descendants would be great and numerous. And that blessing would come through them to the entire world. God promised that they would have land, Israel, okay? And so God remembered his, his covenant. God made a covenant. God doesn't, he doesn't go back on his, on his promises, okay? He is faithful to do what he says. He, he, he carries it out, okay? So he saw, and this is what he does. Here's what he does. God calls a man named Moses, and he says, God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Now, first of all, Moses tried to take justice into his own hands. Okay, let me just let me highlight this. Moses failed in this way because he saw an, uh, an Israelite being afflicted and he, by an Egyptian, and Moses went and struck him and killed him. Okay, kind of like Peter with Jesus. You know, he cut 
cut the ear off of the, uh, the soldier. Moses tried to take justice in his own hands. Let's get them. Let's fight. You know, and that's not what God's calling us to do. His will in our own strength, in our own ways, in our own methods. We don't repay evil for evil, right? We overcome evil with good. That's what Christians do. Okay? And so God calls Moses. Moses senses within him that this isn't right. He sees this. And by the way, that's the first point. That's the first. That's the beginning point for us to make a change when we see injustice. That first, first of all, we see it and we let it affect us. We let it. We we take it in. God sees and He hears and then He acts. Okay. Our temptation is to just block it out and to ignore it. That there's injustice going on. That it's wrong because it just feel good to even think about even preaching this message it message it doesn't feel very good it kind of feels a little heavy and and i think that that heaviness should move us to some action so what does god do he chooses a man to do something about it to work through to be a voice for the afflicted notice what god says here and he said to him i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. God knows. He knows all things. Okay. My son, by the way, came to me yesterday um, and, and I was sitting down studying and preparing. And my son brings his Legos to me and he says, hey, dad, look, um, he said, God knew what I was going to build even before I was building it. <laughs> and I took a picture of it and posted it on my social media and said, well, I guess he's starting to grasp the aspect of God's omniscience. God knows everything even before it happens, right? So I'm, I'm glad for that. God not only knows everything in the sense that he knows what's going to happen, he, can also, he, knows, he knows how you feel. He knows the pain that you experience. We see this even more clearly in the New Testament where Jesus took on flesh and he entered into our suffering, into the brokenness of this world. Hebrews 4 tells us so he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So God knows. He knows. When you're hurting, he knows. He sees. He cares. And he wants to share his heart with us like he did with Moses. God is revealing his ways to Moses. And he continues to do so throughout the book of Exodus. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. God is revealing his ways to Moses. The tipping point is God sees it. God chooses a man who he has protected, preserved, saved from the wrath of Pharaoh, the judgment of Pharaoh. He preserves this life, and then he calls this man, Moses, and he says, I know their sufferings. I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, 
the children of Israel out of Egypt. Wow. So Moses, how does Moses respond to this? Me? Me? God? First of all, I feel it. Like he, he, he was, he had a heart to do that, to see, to see that happen. Okay. But it'd be really nice if there was somebody else who could do that and make it happen. Justice needs to be done there. But can, can you send that guy, God? I'm scared. Okay, so, so, so here we have this dialogue with God and Moses. Okay? And many Christians can relate to this. With God calling them to do certain things in this life. Because God has a calling and a design and a plan for each of us. And we tend to do the same thing that Moses did here. He responds with his doubts, with his objections, and he tells God why he's not the man for the job. But Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought up the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses' excuse, who am I? Who am I? Perhaps there was some insecurity there, some, a sense of inferiority, or, or maybe he was just being humble. Okay? He, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth, by the way, right? Or maybe he's just being humble. Who am I, God? Who am I? Who, God, come on, not me. By the way, it's not humble when you disagree with God. <laughs> it's not humble when you disagree with God. Who am I that I should go? So, so God, and here's God's solution. Here's the answer. But I will be with you. Is that enough? You got me? I'm, I'm enough, right? There's the solution. Okay, now sometimes we feel like this when it comes to evangelism. You know, God, you want me to go talk to that guy? Or that girl? Come on, God. God I'm, I just got mad in traffic there. I can't go. You know, whatever. Um, so more excuses. And then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So basically, like, I don't have all the answers, God. What, what am I going to say if they ask me a question that I don't know how to answer? OK, well, God says, OK, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God promises his presence to Moses. I'm going to be with you. God gives Moses his name. This is who I am. He reveals himself to Moses. This should be enough, right? You know who I am. You got my presence with you. Go for it, Moses. Is that enough for Moses? Well, and then he, and then he goes on. He, prom- he says, I promise I will bring you up out of, out of the affliction of Egypt. So God gives him a promise. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going, I'm going to deliver. And then he says, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel. And then he says, so stretch out. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that, that I will do in it. 
and that he and after that he will let you go and I will give this people favor. So God promises that he's going to bring them out. He promises that um, the people are going to listen. God promises he's going to stretch out his hand and show mighty wonders. And God promises he's going to give them favor. Just go, Moses. I'm going to be with you. I got this. I got your back, Moses. And I love this. Now, God, God didn't need Moses. God could have did all those plagues and did everything he did even without Moses. And I think it's, it's a glorious thing and a mysterious thing that God chooses men to do his will. Men and women to do his will, to be his voice, to be his hands and feet. And truly, that is a humbling thing. And that is a, um, that is a great honor and a privilege to, to be um, used by God in this way. Amen? And if you're a Christian, you're called to be a minister of reconciliation. You're called to be the light of the world. You're called to share the gospel. You're called to make an impact in this world. But it all starts, first of all, notice with Moses in, 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 our, in our vision here, to know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. Impacting your world starts with first knowing God and encountering God and having a relationship with God. Getting God's heart. You see, God's will and his ways flow from his heart, from his character, from who he is. His acts and his deeds flow out of who he is. He's the Lord who works righteousness and justice for all who oppress. He's the Lord who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that, that flows, his will and his ways, that it flows out of who he is. And we, we just jump in the river of that. We, we, we let the weight of who God is affect us in a way. That moves us to action in this broken world around us. So God gives solutions. Moses gives more excuses. It goes on. Then Moses says, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not, the Lord did not appear to you. They'll just straight up say, God didn't tell you that, Moses. God didn't appear to you. Okay, that's the excuse. And, and then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran, ran from it. Okay. He must have got scared. If there was a snake in here, I'm sure you, we, would, we would exit really quick as well. And then the Lord said to Moses, put your hand, put your hand in, and catch it by the tail and so on. And so God's, God's showing up. God's answering Moses' Moses's ob- objections to doing what he's called him to do. Okay, he's, 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 he's getting Moses past his insecurities, his doubts, his reservations, and he's calling them, him into this great task. But check this out. Here, here's the, the deal where God just is like, okay. I, I mean, he, God kind of gets very stern with Moses here. Verse 10, chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I got a speech impediment, God. I don't talk very good, and you want me to go talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth? You know, as I was studying this this week, a um, a salesperson, a young lady, came to my door, and um, and I could tell she was nervous. I said, "You look nervous. Is there anything I can pray for you about?" 
And, uh, <laughs> and, and she actually, she had a speech impediment, okay? And so I figured, well, she came to my door. I can talk to her about God, okay? I didn't knock on her door. She came to my door. I'm going to tell her about Jesus, okay? I'm going to talk to her about God. So, so it, was, it was so interesting because she, she said, yes, would you pray for me that I would have confidence? You know, because, you know, that's, that's a hard job, you know, speaking to people you don't know, risking getting rejected by people, especially when you can't talk very good. It's kind of a hard thing, right? Even those of us who can speak a little bit better or feel more confident about talking with people know that sales, door-to-door sales stuff is, is difficult, right? Uh, cold calls and so on. I mean, it just doesn't feel good to be rejected by anybody. So anyway, she asked that I pray for her, and, and I told her, I said, you know what? That's so interesting that you asked for that because I'm, like, studying Moses right now. And Moses had a problem with speech, and, and he, you know, objected to God and so on. So anyways, I thought that was interesting. little side note. Uh, and the Lord said to him, and here, here's the response. I love this. God says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you ought to speak? Amen. God says, I've made your mouth. I created you. I made your mouth. I, I create the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind. I'm their creator. I'm the one who gave you the abilities that you have. Now go. I'm calling you. Moses' response, verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. (laughs) Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, for he sees you and he will be glad in his heart. So God says, okay, I'll let you bring your brother Aaron. He's a a better speaker. He'll help you out. But God God gets upset with Moses here. Now, the Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger, but he just had a whole handful of, of excuses that he had to put up with with Moses. Those of you who are parents know that a bunch of excuses for, for lack of obedience does not go well with us, right? Moms and dads. Excuses for disobedience, five of them, okay? That, that, it's over. We've already talked about this. You know what you're supposed to do. Go. And God is much more gracious and patient with us than we are even with our own children. But God still used them. God, God met him where he was at. He helped Moses overcome his insecurities, his reservations, his doubts, because God was calling Moses to something so much bigger than himself. We get stuck and paralyzed and, and, and we get inward focus. When we get focused on ourselves and we think it's about us, what God has called us to is about us, we get paralyzed and we get stuck because we start thinking we got to do this or what, what abilities or inabilities we have, but it's not about that. God can work through and he chooses to work through our weaknesses. His strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. He loves to do that. So if you may feel like Moses and that you can't make a difference in this world or or be a voice for those who are being oppressed or are being harmed, consider Moses' example. He felt like that. 
He tried to take justice in his own hands and he messed things up. Cost him 40 years in the wilderness. Okay? But in that obscurity and in that desert place, God was working and humbling and shaping and preparing Moses for this call that we see here today. God was going to deliver the Israelites. And Moses got to be an instrument, a voice of deliverance, a voice, um, a defense lawyer, if you will, an advocate for these people who were oppressed. So Hebrews 11 says this, 11, 24, 26. By faith, when Moses had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So there is one aspect where Moses had to enter into the affliction and the discomfort of his people. He he couldn't sit back in the Egyptian palace anymore and just watch Netflix and eat luxurious meals, tasty meals, and take nice baths in his big jacuzzi and, and all the comforts that he had there and go to entertainment stuff every night, shows, dances, music, all the, 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 the good life, if you will. He had to leave all that for the sake of helping those who were oppressed. And God forbid that we should be so caught up in our comfort zones that we neglect the cries of those around us, the hurting, the broken, the needy. Amen. May we, like Moses, be people of faith who choose to suffer the affliction of the people of God, that we choose to be mistreated with the people of God, then to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know, we can minimize the persecution that we experience as Christians just by being politically correct. Don't rock the boat. Okay? Don't don't speak don't speak against certain issues like what I'm doing today. Don't talk about abortion. Don't talk about the injustice in our land. But I praise God for people like Martin Luther King Jr. who in in the the um, in 1960s, who was inspired by this book, the book of Exodus. He, Luke, Martin Luther was a godly man, and, and he made a difference at the risk of his own life. He was a voice for the African Americans who were being mistreated in this land. That was not very long ago, right here in our country. And God used that. It took time, it took time, and it took prayer, and it took being a voice. But he led peaceful, he led a peaceful movement that made a change in this land. There was a guy named William Wil- Wilberforce, I believe, in the 17 or 1800s, who was a politician in Europe, and and he fought for the abolition of the slavery that was go- that was a, an ex- a, an accepted practice in his day. And he was a Christian, and he was convicted, probably inspired by texts like this in the book of Exodus. And he was a voice for the freedom of those slaves in that day. Amen? And Wilberforce, he he writes about this sense of calling that he had from God where he just, he, he, he lost sleep 
over the, the burden that he was carrying for the, the slaves at that time. And he was a voice for them. And so, in conclusion, I want to ask you, where is your heart? Where's your heart with all this? Where's your heart and what's your part? Okay? You may feel like this, this doesn't have, this, what I'm talking about today has nothing to do with you. Or maybe you don't, maybe you need some clarity on what specifically God is calling you to do and how he's calling you to be a difference maker and make an impact in this world. But let me ask you this question. Are the current day issues regarding justice and mercy weighty matters to you like they are to God? Do you feel inside, do you feel the weight of this? When you hear about Christians in the Middle East that are being displaced and being abused and, and, and their families are being torn apart and their goods are being plundered and, and they have no place to go. And then they're coming here to Dallas. Dallas refugees coming here. How do you feel about that? Do you have arms open wide like, yes, come. We want to help you. We want to be protective. We want to be a place of refuge for you. How do you feel about that? How do you feel? Does your heart break for the things that break God's heart? Or is your heart hard and callous? Do you tend to just look away? When you see a homeless person asking for money, do you just tend to look away? Do you hide your face from those who are in need? There's a song, uh, Hosanna, in, in, in the bridge of that song, it says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. What actions, big or small, do you sense God calling you to take to demonstrate his compassion and justice? This, this can start very small. Little girls have taken steps in our day, taken steps through social media and starting um, fundraisers and, and, and um, uh, ministries that create awareness for those involved in human trafficking. Okay, that, that is an issue of our day, a big issue of our day, human trafficking. Abortion is a big issue of our day. Persecution of Christians in the Middle East is an issue of our day. What excuses are you giving God and what are his solutions? Maybe you can relate to Moses. God, it's not me. Uh, I can't do it. Can you send somebody else? And then what does God want? To, how does he want to respond to that? I think one of the biggest things that hold us back is fear. Fear of man, fear of evil, fear of death, fear of failure, fear of looking foolish, just fear. And God wants to deliver us from that. He wants us to have confidence in his ability, his heart to save. He is the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And his perfect love will cast out fear. He wants to share his heart with you and I. The things that are weighty on his heart, he wants to share those things with us. And like Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, like they were like sheep without a shepherd, they were weary. And he saw them and he was moved with compassion. This all starts with us being willing to open our eyes and see 
the afflicted, the hurting, the oppressed, the injustice in our land. And be affected inside where we there's something that rises up within us when we see it that says, this is wrong, this shouldn't be like that. And then take action with God's help, with God's leading. Ask Him. You know, I, I love Warren, or uh, Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Experiencing God, and he, and he talks about this concept of joining God with what He's doing. You know, we don't just try to start something in and of ourselves. We just look and see what God is doing. What has He done? And then what's He doing? Or what does He want to do? And what's my part in it? He calls us to join Him. To participate in what he's doing in the world today. He wants to use your life. He wants to work through you. Amen? And it doesn't matter how weak you are. It doesn't matter if you've got a great resume or you've got a terrible resume. God will get glory in taking your life, surrendered to him, and using it to bless other people. Amen? If you guys would bow with me in prayer. As we pray here, would you just... Ask the Lord, one, to if your heart's hard or callous as we talk about these things and as we think about the injustice of our day, if you feel indifferent or callous or like you really don't care, maybe maybe just ask God to change your heart and to give your heart. And then if, if maybe it's not clear to you what your part is and what God's calling you to do in this life, in this world, in this next season of your life, how you can make a difference for the good of people around you. Maybe just ask Him, God, what do you want to do? What's, what's the next step for me? What's the next step for my family? How can I step out and be bold and carry out your will so just asking those two things God what's where's my heart and what's my part change my heart and lead me into your part God we come before you the God of all mercy and compassion and you showed your ways to Moses and God I pray that you would show us your ways Reveal your ways to us. Reveal your heart to us. And may we be moved by it. May may our hearts break for the things that break your heart, God. We just acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you. 